I can't tell you what a joy and honor it is to be here today and uh, to worship with you and share God's Word. So I would like for you to open your Bibles or your Bible apps to Acts chapter 2. That is going to be where we're going to find our text this morning. As you're turning, I want to share. In 1993, I had the most wonderful opportunity. I took the most awesome mission trip I had ever taken. It was I was a seminary student, and we went to uh, Lugansk, Ukraine. And uh, the only downside to that trip was uh, we were there in late November, and the entire time it never got above zero degrees Fahrenheit. I'm absolutely convinced. I've never been so cold in all my life. But one of the things we noticed, particularly when we would come to church, we were there a couple weeks and we came to church on Sundays, we would notice people walking great distances that would come to church. And I thought that was amazing. And then, just a few weeks after we got back home, we were in our church in Central Florida, and I overheard a conversation. Somebody was asking somebody why they hadn't been in church the previous week, and the lady's reply was, well, it, it was just too cold for us to come to church. It was in the mid-40s. Come on. And, and, you know, and I remember thinking, well, what does church mean to people? Well, the following year, we got to go back to Ukraine, and uh, this time we were in Severodonetsk, uh, and we were there in September, so it was much warmer. But while we were there, I met a man named Anatoly. He was a pastor. Now, Anatoly's history, he had grown up in a very Christian family. And for their trouble, uh, they were exiled to, uh, it was Kazakhstan, I believe. But as an adult, uh, Anatoly got to come back to his beloved Ukraine where he became a pastor. But being a pastor in the Soviet Union, uh, particularly of a church that loved the Lord, was not an easy thing to do. And uh, so he, uh, he shared stories about, for example, at nighttime, many times they would grab chairs and they would move to another house. And they would do this over and over and over and over again in order to avoid the KGB and the local police. But occasionally they would find them. And, and because of that, he had been arrested and jailed at least three times. He had been very nearly killed twice, and even by Soviet standards, he was forced to live in a substandard apartment and wasn't even allowed to have a vehicle. And yet, they were absolutely committed to worship. They were committed to gather together all through those years because they loved the Lord. But why? Now here it is, 2021, and by any measure, this last year has been a train wreck. I mean, think about it. We, how many of us are bewildered, we're concerned, we're, we're doubtful, we're, we're just wondering, what is going on? Politics is a flaming disaster. There are riots in the streets. We have uh, the church, schools, uh, Christian ministries are being threatened like they've never been threatened before. And then, on top of that, I could talk about Russia, I could talk about China, I could talk about the fact that they're talking about another wave of COVID. Can we have any more fun than we're already having? And, and, and I think some of us are wondering, what in the wide world of, what's going on? And can it get any more messy out here? In fact, can our world be any more messed up? Well, the truth of it is, it has always been messed up. Is this my microphone? Okay, all right. So meanwhile, let me give you our setting of our text this morning. Our Emmanuel, God wrapped up in human flesh, has been crucified and he, he was buried. 
But you know, God doesn't play by the rules, at least by man's rules. And so on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. And before he ascended into heaven, he promised his disciples that he would give them the Holy Spirit, that they would receive the Holy Spirit, and they really needed it. Because I want you to think about this for a moment. If, 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 the, if the Jews and the Romans hated Christ so much that they would crucify and kill him, what do you think would happen to his disciples if they started preaching the gospel? But here they were, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and, and boldly they're out preaching the word. And here is where we're going to pick up our text. And I want you to, uh, back. would you please stand as we read the word? His disciples, these people in the crowd were crying out, what must we do? And here we're going to pick up in verse 38 of chapter 2. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many uh, and, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now may the Lord, may the Lord, may the words of my mouth and, and, and the countenance of my lips, may it bring honor and glory to you, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Quick change. You know, I don't know if you know it, but like uh, they used to do funeral suits and they had no pockets. Dead men don't need pockets. You know what I'm saying? So at uh, any rate, well, what we're doing today, we are looking at what the church really means. More specifically, what I'm looking at today is the church learns together. So what does the church mean? What is the church to be about? And for that matter, what What's all this stuff about learning and learning together? Why, why do we have to be together? And I want you to think about it for a moment. Why would people around the world be willing to, to sacrifice so much to gather together to worship? Why would, be, why would people be willing, even today in countries around the world, be willing to risk persecution, uh, imprisonment, even death, in order to worship God? Why would they do that? And think about this also. Our country is becoming increasingly hostile towards Christians, biblical Christianity. 
Why should we bother? I mean, why should we bother to come to church? Well, as I was thinking about this, I remembered years ago that a good investigator asked six questions. Who, what, when, where, how, and why? And so we're going to do that today. And the first question I'm going to ask is what should we be learning together? What should we be learning together? You know, are, are, are we to gather together to perfect the spiritual gift of criticism? You know, maybe, maybe we're supposed to take some karate self-defense-like course, you know, to defend ourselves in case someone starts cutting in the line at the church social. Or, or, or maybe, maybe like this so-called church in Florida that I used to drive by periodically, we could offer some courses in miracles. Can you imagine not having to worry about traffic? Just go down to the Susquehanna River and say, Park, let my people go. Go where? I don't know. But hey, I've seen some very bizarre things being taught in church settings. Why? And, and what should we be devoting ourselves to? Well, let's go back and ask, what were they devoting themselves to? Well, our text says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, they had just come to faith in Christ. This was the beginning of the early church, and I don't think these words are inserted here randomly. I believe they are very much with purpose and by necessity. Why would I say that? Well, these first century believers, and there are 3,000 of them that just came to faith in Christ, that they were added. They were Jews. They were, they were men and women who were practicing what by that time had not become. It was no longer really a biblical faith. And thanks to their leaders, what did they know? I mean, what did they know? And for that matter, when you came to faith, what did you know? You see, when I tore off down the aisle of the Marietta Bible Center in 1975, I, I was flying like a Jesus-seeking missile, and I just wanted to know Jesus. I just wanted to know him. I, I wanted to get, like the preacher said, I wanted to get saved. But I didn't know anything. All I knew was I wanted to know Jesus. You know, at that point, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And so when I went off to college, a big college up in Columbus, Ohio, you know, I, I, I used all the ready excuses we have in our, in our heads and our hearts, and I drifted away from the church. And it wasn't until uh, the early 90s that Gene and I started going back to church, and I started learning again. And I was enjoying it so much. What I learned was I wanted to become a pastor. But even to this day, I still love to learn. I love to learn. But learn what? What is the church responsible to proclaim? What are we here to teach? What are we here to do? What, what do we say on a Sunday morning or in our small groups? Well, again, we looked at where they started, and that was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. That's awesome, isn't it? Well, what's the apostles' teaching? Very simply, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. At that time, they had the Old Testament, and they had what the Holy Spirit was putting inside of the apostles. They were performing miracles. They were doing signs and wonders to authenticate their message. But this was the early church. They didn't have the whole canon of Scripture. We do now. From the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, we have 
God's revelation of himself to man. And it is God's revelation. It is his revelation of himself to man. In fact, we know that the way, the truth, and the life actually said in John chapter 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. He said in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. And then in his prayer to the Father, Jesus said, your word is truth. Your word is truth. And then Paul would follow it up in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he would say, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction of righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then Proverbs 30. 30 verses 5 and 6. Every word of God. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And then you go to the revelation of Jesus Christ and, and John kind of almost ends his, 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 his letter by, by saying the same thing. Don't add to, don't take away. And then he talks about plagues. Beloved, let me tell you something. You don't want to add or take away from God's word. It is God's revelation of himself to man. And there's no vacancy in the Trinity. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You see, it is the word. And simply, there is simply no truth whatsoever that contradicts God's word. There's no experience that negates or changes it. So what should we as followers of Christ learn? His Word. We should learn His Word. There's nothing, nothing really to hope for apart from it. Well, what's our second question? Our second one is, who should be learning together? And real quickly, don't let anyone see you because they'll think you're weird. I want you to look around. You see all those people around you? They really need to learn together. Really. But so do you, and so do I. You see, if we have embraced Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, if, if we have trusted him to forgive us of our sins and take us to heaven when this life that we have here on earth is over, do you think that it makes sense that we might want to learn who this God is? Do you think that maybe when God saves us, he has something in mind for us to do? That maybe there's a call, there's, there, there's, there's something he wants us to know. I don't understand why some people come to faith and it's like they just got to get out of hell card and that's all. Woohoo! I'm good, I'm not going to hell. But you see, in 2 Timothy 2.15, the Apostle Paul told his son in the faith, Timothy, study to show yourself to proved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be reproved, rightly dividing the word of truth. By the way, that's how I memorized it. This is the ESV up here. Do your best, be diligent, but rightly divide the word of truth. Well, when? This is our third question. When should we be learning together? 
Well, if, if you look at our text, I really don't see much air between coming to faith and their meeting together. It, it's like almost immediate. They come to faith and they're gathering together. They're gathering together to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And they're meeting day by day in the temple and meeting in people's homes. So, so when should we start learning? The very moment we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. Why? Because it's also at that point we're the most vulnerable. How's that? You just left the kingdom of darkness and you've entered into the kingdom of light. And there's someone who doesn't like that. Because... I mean, Satan forbid that some, some knuckle-dragging Neanderthal should open his mouth about Jesus Christ and, 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 and someone should believe him and come to faith in Christ. What's this world coming to? But you see, that is our responsibility. It is our mission. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 and 12 and 13, it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. <clears throat> but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You and I both know life comes at us fast, doesn't it? Sometimes we think that that light at the end of the tunnel is our way out when it's an oncoming train. Are you ready? Are you ready for life? Because you see, God wants you to be ready. So let's go to the next question. Why should we be learning together? Why, why should we be learning? Well... <clears throat> Let's consider some Bible for a moment. Joshua walked alongside Moses. Elisha walked alongside Elijah. We could call that mentoring. During Jesus' earthly ministry, we see where he was constantly alongside teaching his disciples, and particularly Peter, James, and John. <clears throat> consider the Apostle Paul, who we would see alongside Silas, Luke, and more, not to mention Timothy, who in probably his last words, his last recorded words before his own martyrdom, Paul wrote to Timothy, Will you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also? And what we see here is four generations. <clears throat> Paul is teaching Timothy. Timothy is teaching others. And those others are teaching others. And beloved, we are standing on the shoulders of these great men and women who down through the centuries have taught and shared and mentored and loved enough to talk about Christ. On that day of Pentecost, recorded in our text, in addition to the apostles who were meeting in the upper room, we now had 3,000. We have this instant megachurch. We have more being added every day. But let me ask you something. When they cried out, what must we do? And, and these 3,000 were added to the church. What on earth did they know? I mean, what did they know? Think about this for a moment. It wasn't that long ago 
when Jesus entered into, the, into Jerusalem that Sunday morning, they were probably among the crowd shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Friday, crucify him. And now they're cut to the quick. They are a messed up bunch. And yet, there's hope. There's hope. There's more than just a get out of hell card. But then we look to today. You know, we, we look at coming to faith today. And it can be argued, we have at our fingertips more resources available to us that are labeled Christian than at any time in recorded history. I mean, we have Bible studies. We, 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 we have videos. We, we have books. And, and we have podcasts. And we have so much more. And, and even those who profess Christ for a while may say something like, dude, why do I need to go to church? I mean, I got all this stuff. I can just do it from home. I can do it from my computer. I mean, think about this. We have people even today, they can sit at home in their jammies with a giant jug of caffeinated go-go juice and they can enjoy the worship service. And they say, you know, I got my, I got my iPad, I, I got my smartphone, I got my TV, I, I, I got all this stuff. I, I don't need to go to church. So what's up with this altogether stuff? And we really would be asking a good question. Now again, as you've heard me describe Scripture several times, it is God's revelation of himself to man. So if, if you're... Wanting to know something about something, it's usually good to go to the source, right? So if we're wanting to know something about the church, we should probably go to the Bible. And let me ask you, do you think God has something to say about the church gathering together? Audience participation time, what do you think? There you go. Okay. Well, how about Hebrews chapter 10? Let's look at verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to, how to, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You see, a very interesting thing happened on the way to the cross. It's recorded in Matthew 16. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and then Jesus replied, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And you and I have learned, probably, that what Jesus was talking about here in those words, and by the way, this is the first introduction of the concept of church. He's in reality talking about the universal church, that body of believers from the time of Christ to the present and into the future, however long that's going to be. But then you go to the book of Acts and you start marching through the other books of the Bible 
and you start encountering this thing called church, maybe with a little c. And you start seeing these groups of people hanging out together. They're believers, and they're doing weird things like worshiping and praying, and they're studying, and, and they have people like bishops and elders and pastors and, and whatnot over them. <clears throat> but what we are seeing are gatherings of believers in the context of what's called church. They're doing church. And it's here we, we, we see where the writers, like particularly Paul, he's writing to the church at Corinth, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's writing to the church at Philippi, and so on and so on. But then there's something else that's peculiar that's going on. We start encountering this, this phrase called one another. And, and we don't just encounter it once or twice. There's actually a hundred references in the New Testament to one another. Fifty-nine of those references are specific commands, and they're teaching us how and how not to relate to one another. Like, for example, 16 times, 16 times Jesus, or the Bible says, love one another. Now, Mama told me once, I'd better pay attention. God's telling us 16 times. Now, you might be saying, you know, our world is populated with difficult people. That's being kind, by the way. Do we have to be, do we have to love them? See, you know. Yes, we do. There's not, there's no exceptions, there's no loopholes. In Romans 14, 19, we're told to build up one another. In Galatians 5, 13, we're told to serve one another. We're to, to exhort and to encourage one another. We're to stir up, provoke, and stimulate love and good works. This is stuff we looked at in our Hebrews passage. But now check this one out. This is found in Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I highlighted this. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Look, teaching and admonishing one another. Not just you, one another. And again, we see in Paul's words, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we're reminded that Jesus goes and says something like, you know, if you love me, obey my commandments. These are some of his commandments. And so we need to pay attention to them. But you know, there's one stipulation. There's one thing about the one another's that we have to grab hold of. In order to fulfill the one another commands, you have to be with, one another. Yeah, you got to be around people. Real people, live people. I mean, isn't that frustrating? You know, I've heard of people say that church would be great if it wasn't for people. Well, beloved, that's the stupidest thing on the face of the planet because the church is people. You know, we are to be around people. And though COVID taught us that you can do things via technological advances such as Zoom and and, and go to meeting and, and, and Facebook and all this stuff. 
there is no substitute for being around people. I'm so tired of talking to a computer screen. Are you feeling it? I mean, this is nuts. And besides, I, I, I want to share something else with you too. And something we need to grab hold of. God actually gives us warning. It is, it is a good thing to learn. It's a good thing to know about the word of God. But if all you do is learn, if all you do is ingest, 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 learn, 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 you might be able to rock Bible trivia, but if you are not imparting it to others, you are in sin. Here's what, here's what Colossians 1, uh, 8, 1 and 2 says. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Because what we ought to know is that what we know, we need to share. We need to share. So let's go to our final questions. Where and how should we be learning together? We're also going to be addressing some of the why. But where and how should we be learning together? Well, of course, one of the most obvious answers to this question is attending worship service. We should attend worship service because at its heart, this is the most basic involvement in a church. It is in the worship service where we get to know the heart and, and the passions of those leading us. We, 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 we worship together in, in song and prayer and the hearing of the word. We, we, get to, we, we get to interact with other believers. We get to encourage them. We, we, we get to strengthen them. We, we get to hear their stories. And we also get to demonstrate to our family our own love for God. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. But I do need to share something with you. In my 24 years as a pastor, I also learned something else, something that I confess I constantly struggled with. <clears throat> you see, as much work as I put into my sermons, as much as I strove to be a better teacher, Ultimately, the setting and the math did not always bring about the results or the spiritual growth that I had hoped for. You see, part of my problem was is that when I prepared a sermon, I had to keep in mind that I was going to be talking to people of all ages, young to older. I would be talking to people about, that were at different levels of spiritual maturity and some who really had no relationship with the Lord whatsoever. And so what I also learned is that also what I would teach then and what I'm going to teach today, you're probably going to forget the vast majority of it in a short period of time. And so what I realized is that I could, I could make people thirsty, I could help them become hungry for the word, but I really couldn't disciple them, not the way I really wanted to. There had to be something more. There had to be something more, but what was the more. Now you may have noticed that I keep referring to they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Well, I'm not just including that because it sounds cool. I'm including that because I believe it is essential. Let me mention something about fellowship, or in the Greek word, it's called koinonia. You see, as a former Southern Baptist, you would think that we would rock fellowship. I mean, you slap down a plate of fried chicken, and we are talking fellowship. I mean, I even got this slide. It's terrible, but 
I know you guys are really getting hungry now, but at any rate, I mean, but we even had buildings we called fellowship halls. And you would think we'd have it all dialed in, but I confess to you, not always. Because true fellowship is not just gnawing on a chicken bone. True fellowship is when you enter into someone's life, you enter into people's lives, and, 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 and you, you, you get to know them, and you, you ask them how they're doing, and you actually care about the answer. And you start, like iron sharpening iron, you start to sharpen one another. You grow together, you learn together, you challenge one another. That is the essence of koinonia. That is the essence of true fellowship. Let me give you an illustration of that. Our world is full of difficult people. You know it, I know it, they're all around us. And in fact, one author calls them sandpaper people because they rub people the wrong way. So how do you work out this, obey, this obeying Christ thing where we are to love all people, including difficult people? How do you love sandpaper people you watch a video and you read a book right you're all done ah doesn't work that way you actually have to be around them i hate that part but you got to be around them you got to learn how to work with them and you know some people that seem difficult on the surface are not so difficult that's amazing why learn together? Why, why? In fact, why, why do we do small groups? You know, years ago, Gene and I visited one of our home fellowship groups. That's what we called them. And uh, our home fellowship groups, uh, they were meeting to study the Bible. And this one group we were, we were visiting with, man, they, 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 they love to eat. We're Southern Baptists. Come on. Anyway, but we're meeting with them, and we're sitting down to do the Bible study. And all of a sudden, one of the members starts going off on his wife. And it's one of those awkward, like, oh, gee, kind of moments. And you're like, what's going to happen? But to my utter amazement, this group, one by one, and, and they start loving on this man and, and talking to him and sharing with him and bringing truth into play. And, and they were ministering to him. And I was sitting there amazed with tears in my eyes because not once did they say, Pastor, what do you think? not once and the reason is because they were employing the god they were learning they were doing it i was so proud of them that day why learn together well you know after 24 years as pastor and 64 years of dealing with my own heart and mind i came to an understanding you cannot under any circumstances no way, no how, at any time can you defeat sin on your own. You cannot do it. You may think you're smart enough. You may think you're mature enough. You may think you're spiritual enough. You may think you've got all the, the learning that you need. And you're going to whoop on sin. But I tell you, if you're trying it yourself, it's going to whoop on you. Because true sin is only defeated in the context of community. When we come alongside others who are also battling their own sins, and we do it together, we learn together, and we whoop sin together, because Christ has whooped sin in our lives. I've seen this truth in, the, in my life. I've seen it in the church. I've seen it in small groups and in counseling and in the face I see every morning in the mirror. 
Why age-targeted groups? Why small groups? Why Bible studies? Bible, biblical counseling? Why conferences and seminars? Like the recent one we had, the Tactics Conference with, with Greg Kukul. Why groups like Pure Desire celebrate recovery, divorce care, and such? Why, why do we do mission trips and community service projects and church work days? We do them because we learn best in the context of community, where we encourage one another, where we challenge one another, where we, 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 we sharpen one another. We learn in the context of community. Years ago, when I was a seminary student, I heard this story. I don't know if it's true, but it could be. The story is about a pastor who goes to visit one of his members. He hadn't been in church for a while, and so, so he, he's visiting, and after, after greeting at the door, he's invited in. So they're seated in, in a couple chairs in front of the fireplace. Pastor doesn't say a word, but he gets up, and he grabs the tongs, and he pulls out a fiery coal from the middle of the fire, and he sets it on the stone hearth, puts up the tongs. Doesn't say a word. After a few minutes, that coal is, that had been so bright and red and, and fiery a few moments before is turning gray and ashen. After a few more minutes, he grabs the tongs again and he puts it back in the fire where it starts burning bright red and it's on fire again. A few minutes later, the man starts chuckling. He said, okay, pastor, that was a fiery sermon. I'm going to be in church next Sunday. But you see, that's what happens to us when we don't learn together. We grow ashen and we grow cold. We grow distant. One other story. Pastor Mike, you're going to appreciate this one. 2012, my wife and I were on sabbatical. And I remember coming in and sitting over here. The sanctuary was smaller at that time. And I remember walking in, and what, what, what I spotted was a Volkswagen Cabriolet. The headlights were on, and there were crash dummies in it. And I was going, wow, Pastor Mike rocks. This is awesome. And now i got to tell you, for the first several minutes of the worship time, I'm trying to figure out how we got that car in here. But what he taught about that day was about the person sitting in the driver's seat. And I remember, one of the things I remembered that he shared, that has stuck with me to this day, I kind of knew it, but I never heard it shared so, so poignantly and succinctly. He said, mature believers feed themselves. Never forgot it. Mature believers feed themselves. You see, it's never wrong to study. In fact, you should. You should be watching videos. You should be checking out the YouTube. You should be reading good Christian books. But you see, the mark of a mature believer, and, and, and Pastor Mike, I don't remember, but I'm sure you went there. A mature believer teaches others. We bring others with us. We engage others. We share with others. We help them to know what is going on. That, beloved, is church. That's why church is here. It's why we meet. It's why we exist. We exist to grow together. We exist because the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, church has meant so many things to so many people. 
But we know from your word that it is near and dear to your heart. For after all, Lord, it came from your heart and from your mind. And you gave your life for the church. Lord, for those of us that have embraced you as our Savior and Lord, we need to learn more about you. We need to learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. What your church is to be about, what your church is to do. And then we need to participate in that. We need to engage others in the life of the church. We need to help them as you have helped us. God, I am so grateful for this church. I am grateful for a church that loves you, that teaches you, that brings your word alive. But it can't just be in this room. It can't just be on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. It has to be every moment of every day that some of us are talking about you to others and sharing about your wondrous truths. That we would gather together to learn together so that we may do together what you have called us to do. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, grace, and mercy. And I pray this all in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.